right, so we are uh, continuing in Jonah, and we have been in a place where Jonah was thrown up out of this giant fish. He came and he went to Nineveh, and he preached judgment, and the people of Nineveh repented, and God gave them mercy. Now, if you were a prophet of God, this would be something to celebrate. This is success. God has spoken to me and, and sent me to speak His Word. And as I speak His Word, the people's hearts are changed. They repent and turn towards God, and God shows them mercy. If you're a prophet, this is an amazing thing to have on your resume. Alright? You can get any job from here on out as a prophet because look at what God has done through you and how successful you were. You preached, they repented, God was merciful, and He is glorified. But that's not how it goes with Jonah. If you guys remember the diagram, he walked through this, but he only shared part of it. But God moved them to repentance and resulted in his mercy. And that is the way that Jonah 3 ends. But it's not the way that Jonah ends. And it would be great if we could end the story right here in chapter 3, be done and go home and celebrate what God has done through Jonah. And as I look at other literature, other books, this is often what they do. This is the Jesus Storybook Bible. I think it's great. I read it to all my kids. It's a part of our evenings. It's a part of what we did together. We would read through this and it brings Jesus into focus as you walk through all of these different stories of the scriptures. As you walk through God's story. But I want to read to you from the Storybook Bible uh, how it finishes the story of Jonah specifically. And I want you to listen and consider, as we've been considering Jonah, how do they match? How do they line up? This says, after three days, the fish spat Jonah safely out onto a sandy beach. Just then, Jonah heard someone calling his name. Go to Nineveh, God said. And this time, Jonah says, in all caps, YES! Is that how it happened? It's not how I remember it as we walk through it. It says he went straight to Nineveh and told everyone God's wonderful message. Now, did Jonah, we read it, we studied it, did he go straight to Nineveh? Yes! And told everyone God's wonderful, complete message? No, he says, I'm going to go and I share this partial message. But this says he shared God's wonderful message and then it gives us the message that he shared. 
It says, even though, this is Jonah speaking as he preached to the Ninevites. This is his message. Even though you've run far from God, he can't stop loving you, Jonah told them. Run to him so he can forgive you. This is what it says that Jonah said. Did Jonah say that? Did Jonah mention God? Did he mention forgiveness? Did he mention and, and speak of them repenting and running to him that God is waiting to forgive them? No. No. The people of Nineveh listened to Jonah and they started loving God. And this is my favorite part. They learned to do what God said and to stop running away from him just like Jonah. They, they quit running away from God just like Jonah. Was Jonah running away from God. And he sort of quit, but as we see, he, he comes, but as we're going to look at chapter 4, that's not how the story ends. I want us to read God's Word. Okay, This is a great book, Okay, but I want us to understand how we have taken God's Word and we've adjusted it to, 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 to fit the way that we want the story to be told and we can leave out certain parts and, 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 and accentuate other parts and I don't want to do that this is God's word this is what God is speaking I want to share it as he shared it and that we would understand it as the original author intended in its context and there is an entire chapter left of Jonah and the storybook Bible that's in that's where it ends it's over but in God's Word, there's another chapter. And in this chapter, in chapter 4, it doesn't end because Jonah is angry. Jonah is upset. Jonah is pissed off. Okay? That's why that's not in the Jesus Storybook Bible. But that's my interpretation. But that's what God's Word says in chapter 4. And I want us all to see that and understand that. He's very upset. And for you people like me that don't like to claim that you're upset, he's very frustrated. Okay? He's He's frustrated with the situation. He's angry with the situation. And he is angry with God. Both the situation and with God, he is upset. And so I want us just to read a part of that. We're going to read the last verse in chapter 3. So we remember where we were. And then move forward to verse 3 of chapter 4. So with that in mind, let's read this passage I'll read first in English and then Grace in Spanish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He relented, and He did not bring on them the destruction He had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were, you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, 
Take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. So Jonah's upset. Jonah's angry. Jonah's frustrated. Jonah's pissed. Any other words that you guys prefer to use? Because I want us to continue in this story and I want us to continue to see ourselves in Jonah. So however you describe yourself when you're angry, use that word for yourself because that's what Jonah is. I want us to see ourselves in Jonah and understand why is it that he's angry in this situation and why is it that he's angry with God. And then I want us to consider have we, are we, or would we respond the same way when our enemies repent and when our enemies receive God's mercy? Would we feel, would we respond, would we think the same way? And remember for Jonah, the Ninevites were those people. Those people. Not God's people. Not Jonah's people. Not of the same race. Not of the same ethnicity. Not of the same nationality. Not of the same faith. They were those people. The Ninevites were against everything that Jonah valued. And they were opposed to every way that Jonah had built and defined his identity. Everything that he, how he described himself and who he was, they were opposed to that. They were against that. They were the opposite of that. And so you may think, I don't have enemies. But I want you to consider someone or consider those people for you who proclaim and who represent everything that is completely against your values and completely against your identity. And if those people repented, do you have them in your mind? Do you have someone? Do you have those people? hold them in your mind right now process that consider that and now if those people that oppose you that are against you that are the opposite of you that are completely not like you if they repented and they received God's mercy would you be angry? would you be upset? would you be frustrated? We need to be able to see ourselves in Jonah. And Jonah was very angry. He was angry with the situation. And he was angry with God. Look at verse 1. But to Jonah this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. 
It was very wrong. He became very angry. Literally, the word here is that Jonah was fuming. He was burning. He was on fire. He was so upset. He was fuming with anger because of the situation. They had repented and because of what God had done, given them mercy. He was upset that the Ninevites his enemies had repented. Remember, he preached a partial message. He just preached God's judgment. He did not preach repentance. And he is upset now that they have repented. His message that didn't include repentance, and now they have repented. How did that occur? How did that happen? He did not preach repentance, but they repent. And I want us to look back at his message because I think it's important here. If we look back at chapter 3, verse 4, it's only a few words. It's only five words in Hebrew. That's all he preached. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And now he's looking at the situation and they've, they've repented. Uh, they, they're not being overthrown. They're not being destroyed. Fire's not coming down from the heavens. They've repented and God has shown them mercy. But he preached that in 40 days they would be overthrown. Annihilated. And so I want us just to briefly look at that word. Overthrown. Because just like our English and like our Spanish, sometimes words can have different meanings. And if we approach this as a story that's being told by an author and we want to understand the points that the author is trying to make, if we spoke Hebrew and we could read Hebrew, we would see this part of the story and we'd be like, oh, 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 oh. But unless you speak Hebrew, none of us are feeling that right now. So I want to explain what we should be feeling if we understood this passage in its context because that word overthrown in Hebrew can have two different meanings. Let me give you one example in Genesis 19. Chapter 19, verse 24 through 25. This is about Sodom and Gomorrah. It says, Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus, verse 25, He, there's the word, overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the city and also the vegetation and the land. He overthrew the cities, all the people, everything, even the vegetation. It was destroyed, it was annihilated. And then you can look at the same word in 1 Samuel. This is Samuel talking to Saul, who is going to become the king of Israel. And he says in verse 1 Samuel, chapter 10, verse 6. It says, The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed, same word, into a different person. Same word in both passages. Two very different meanings based on the context. 
One is that they would be totally destroyed. The other is that they would be totally transformed. Now, which version of the word do you think Jonah had in mind? The first, right? Destroyed, annihilated, burned down, everything. But what meaning did God bring about? The transformation, the change. So Jonah's very angry. Jonah preached God's word and God's word proved to be true. His, God, his word came forth and, and, and bared fruit, but it's not what Jonah meant, but it's what God meant through his words. It was true, but it was not how Jonah desired. It was not how he meant it, even as he communicated. And I've got to think that he feels pretty tricked by God right now. And, and, and if we understood this, if we could read the Hebrew, we would read that and be like, oh, like God just got Jonah. What a fool. Jonah looks so silly right now. Oh, the, Jonah, it's embarrassing right now for Jonah. The Jonah was thinking this, but, but God brought about their transformation and their change. And like, oh, this is incredible. This is amazing. Look at what God did. Man, that's embarrassing for Jonah. So I want you all to feel that. Because after you feel that, and you feel embarrassed for Jonah, this is, this is awful. How, the point of the story is that now you're going to see yourself in Jonah. He looks like a fool. And as you ridicule him and look at him and laugh at him, then the point of the story is that you're like... I'm just like him. That's me. That's me responding that way. That's me looking foolish. That's me that should be embarrassed. As we begin to see ourselves in Jonah. But again, why did it make him so angry? That they would repent. And I think because it was threatening his very identity. We often define ourselves by who we are not. We define ourselves by who we oppose, by who we're against. I am not like those people. I'm like these people. Uh, we oppose those people and that helps define who I am. If I know who my enemies are and who I'm against, then I know better and I can hold on to my identity of who I am. And that's what we as humans do and that's how we tend to define ourselves and find our identity. We want, we desire some form of them versus us. Okay? I want 
there to be some definition of them versus us. You guys want, in your flesh, in your nature, you want some them and us because it helps you feel better about you. There has to be them if there's going to be an us. I can't define us if I don't define them. There can't be liberals unless there's conservatives. There can't be pro-life unless there is pro-choice. There can't be privileged if there aren't the marginalized. There can't be Protestant if we don't define Catholic. There can't be a citizen if there's not an undocumented immigrant. There can't be the religious if we don't have the secular. There can't be the incarcerated if we don't have the law-abiding individual. There can't be LGBTQ affirming if there's not heteronormative. And for Jonah, and for us, a summary of this is that there can't be righteous. There can't be the righteous if there is not the sinful. And so we need those who are sinful, those who oppose us, those who are our enemies, those sinful people, so that we can be with us that are righteous. And it gives us an identity of being righteous if those people are sinful. And Jonah was losing his identity as God was giving the Ninevites mercy. He was losing his superior identity. He was losing his privileged position. And he was losing his greater righteousness as they repented and as God gives them mercy. I want to convince us that this is us. We need to compare to others so that we feel superior to someone else. That's what we do. That's our nature. One of the things that's caught me by surprise after living in this neighborhood is I would hear in conversation my neighbors who came, were not born in the United States, but came to the United States prior to 1986. They came undocumented prior to 1986. And I will hear those immigrants then speak of others who came to the United States in the exact same way undocumented, without papers, but they came after 1996 and they will speak about those people who are just like them except for the date and the time that they crossed and came into this country. And they will judge them and they will speak evil of them and they will talk about those people that are coming here now like that. Can't they just come the right way? 
And I would hear this in my mind, and it would, I, I couldn't grasp it. I'm like, but wait, but wait, but wait. But, but you came the exact same way. The only thing that has happened is you did it before 1986, and in 1986 there was legislation that gave amnesty, and now all of a sudden you're not in the same place. You are standing in a different place, in a different position, with different privilege, because of nothing that you did. And you can talk about those people. It's like we have amnesia about what God has done for us. And I am not exempt from this. None of you are exempt. On Thursday night, I am sitting at the stage at Lanark Recreation Center. This year I have been coaching the GPLA, the, an all-girls basketball team that my daughter, Annalise, nine and ten-year-old girls, there's four teams at Lanark. We were the most challenged team. Okay? Just plain and simple. We did win a game, but we get to the final two games of the season and they do a playoff. We lost the first playoff game, so we're playing on Thursday night in the consolation game. Right? There's two games on Thursday night, the championship game and the consolation game. We're in the consolation game. And we lost the consolation game. And we lost the consolation game badly. But Emmanuel, who's coaching another team with another coach, is coaching Isa's team. They're in the championship game after me. And so I want to watch. And, and Evan comes to join me. We, we just finished a meal at our house with our household community. And so, <coughs> pardon me. And so Evan comes and he sits over with Emmanuel for a little bit and then he comes and sits next to me and we're watching the game and this is the Isa, Emmanuel's team is playing a team that has just destroyed us, you know, smoked us, annihilated us, okay? And I'm watching them play and these girls that were making amazing shots against us are now missing all of their shots against Emmanuel's team. And this does not seem right to me. This seems very wrong. They were so accurate against us, and now they can't make a basket. And these two girls on that team that were their best girls, they keep shooting shots, and every time it comes in and out. And I find myself, because Evan points it out to me, every time the other team shoots, not, not Emmanuel's team, not my niece's team, okay, that's related to me, but the other team, they shoot, they miss, and I'm going, ah, you know, trying to, to, to will the ball to go through the basket. Ah, ow. And Evan stops me, and he says, who are you pulling for? 
And I wanted just to respond real quickly. Well, of course, I'm pulling for Emmanuel and I'm pulling for Isa. I'm pulling for that team. But as he said that, I realized, I think I'm pulling for the other team. And I was angry when they weren't performing the same way they performed against us. Now, why do you think that is? Because it was hurting my identity. Because I am a good coach. And I'm thinking, boy, if I was sitting over there where Emmanuel was sitting, I wouldn't have lost. I would have won. Right? If I had his girls and, and his team, and then I would have won. It, and I don't want him to succeed. And we're going to get done. And he's going to be a champion. And I'm going to be the loser of the consolation game. It's breaking down my identity. I don't want that for him. It doesn't seem right that he would get that. It makes me angry. Does that make sense? And I felt that way about a 9 and 10 year old girls basketball game at Lanark. My identity is wrapped up in that? And I would be frustrated and angry when things are going well for him. That makes no sense. And then I began to see myself in Jonah. I'm that fool. How embarrassing. How embarrassing. I would cheer against my brother-in-law, one of my best friends in the entire world, against my niece. But that's us. And so what group, what individual do you love to hate? That you oppose. That they're your rival. And you want to keep them as them. And what if God gives them mercy and makes them a part of us? How will you feel? How will you respond? Because Jonah was upset at the situation, but he's also upset with God. As you look at verse 2, it says he prayed to the Lord isn't this what I said Lord when I was still at home that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger and abounding in love a God who relents from sending calamity let me interpret this for you. Jonah was fuming and now he fumes directly 
at God. He's angry and now he turns his anger and he blows up. He attacks God. That's what he's doing here. This is an insult. This is a slur from Jonah to God. He's fighting God. Not trying to have a dialogue, not trying to, to wrestle and figure this out. He is attacking God and going after God, fuming against Him with His anger. Read His words. We've all used these words in arguments with others. I've used these words and I have heard these words with my wife, who I love more than anyone else in this entire world. She is the most important, the greatest horizontal relationship I have hands down with anyone. And I have used these words just like this and I have heard those words from her because we're in an argument and she's like I knew that's what you were going to do that's just that's who you are and I've watched it for 20 years and that's what you were going to say you said exactly what you always say you did what you always do that's just who you are have you guys heard those words? Have you used those words? That's an argument. It's a fight. Jonah is even, even using God's own words against him. What Jonah is quoting here is the most repeated description of God in the entire Old Testament. It's dozens of times it occurs in the Old Testament. And it is something that first occurred in Exodus 34, where God describes himself. These are God's words that God uses to describe himself. And now Jonah is taking the words that God says and he's twisting them and putting them right back at God. Now again, have you ever done that in a fight? Right? Someone is talking and you take what they said and you right back at them, right? You're just waiting for those words and when they make a mistake and I'm going to take that and I'm going to fight back with you with those words that you just said that came out of your mouth. And that's what Jonah's doing. And he also leaves out a part of what God is saying. If you read Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7, Jonah does speak about God being compassionate, about being mercy, about this grace. But God also speaks about His judgment and His justice. Right? God speaks of Himself with the entire message, right? The fullness of who He is. That's how He describes Himself. But Jonah takes a part of those words and leaves out the other parts of His words and He takes what He wants to take uh, to use to fight against God. I'm not going to consider all of you, God. I'm just going to take that part and I'm going to fight with it. And again, if you're skilled, 
in intimate relationships with others and how to fight. You wait, you wait, you wait. They're saying all this information. They're sharing all these words and then boom, I got it. I got you now. That one sentence you just shared. I'm going to take that and I'm going to use it against you. Does that make sense? We're all guilty of that. Okay, that's our nature. I'm trying to convince you to see yourself in Jonah. What he is doing with God, we do with each other, and I would say we do with God as well. We prefer and we proclaim certain parts of God's character, certain parts of His Word. But we criticize and we complain, and I would say we even argue with God about other parts of His Word, about other parts of His character. I like this part, God, but I don't get or like this part of you and what you've communicated, and I'm just going to focus on this, and if you push against me, God, I'll use the things that I don't like against you. I'll bring that up. I'll argue with that. I'll fight with that. Don't push me. And we prefer and we accept the parts that make us feel special, that make us feel superior, that make us feel better than them. Those are the parts we like the most. The parts that that I don't struggle with. The parts that are easy for me and the parts that make me feel good and righteous and spiritual. Those are the parts we like. But the parts that we struggle with, the parts that we don't understand, we tend to ignore those parts of God's character and those parts of His Word. I want what makes me feel righteous. What defines and divides me from them. And look at the result. When God in His mercy breaks down Jonah's identity by giving mercy to his enemies. Jonah is done with life. I'm done with this and I'm done with you, God. In verse 3, and I'm actually going to read from the New Living Translation for this verse because I think it just says what I understand the verse to mean and it connects it together for us. It says, Just kill me now, Lord. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted, if what I preached, will not happen. If you're going to turn them over by transforming them instead of turn them over by destroying them, I'd just rather die. I'm done. I'm out. I'm not with you. I don't want to be identified with you. My identity and who I am, that I'm not them, that's more important to me than my identity with you, Lord. Who I'm not is more important than who I'm with you. So, let me die. I can't handle a God like that. I don't want to live and serve and proclaim a God like that. Let me die. 
I'm so pissed. I'm done. For us, let me put it in context. When Jesus hung on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I can acknowledge. We can acknowledge, yes. Those that he's forgiving that know not what they do, I'm a part of that. You're a part of that. I can embrace that, right? Uh, That's a part of God's word and his character that I can accept. But when Jesus tells me that to follow him, I must love my enemies and I must do good for those who hate me, that's going too far. That's too much to If that's what it means to follow you, I'm out. I know that I am those that you spoke of that forgive them for they know not what they do, but now you want me to think that way of others around me, my enemies that oppose me, that are against me, all that I identify myself as, they're the other? That's too much. I'm out. I won't serve a God like that. I won't proclaim a God like that. I will not love a God like that. But that is our God. That's our God. That's Jesus. So I hope that we understand why Jonah was angry. I hope that we can see ourselves in Jonah. That we would humbly acknowledge that we're prone to feel and to respond this way when our enemies repent when God gives them mercy that we don't think they deserve and so I pray that we can accept that reality about our nature but that we don't have to live according to that nature. We can have a supernatural nature, a supernatural perspective that is not of us, that is not of our nature, but that is of God. But we have to come to this place humbly and acknowledge that about ourselves. And God wants to continue this conversation with Jonah. Okay, and that's what he's going to do with the remaining part of chapter 4. And God wants to con- continue this conversation with us. He wants to continue this conversation with me. He wants to continue this conversation with you. But you have to be in this place where you acknowledge that does is making me angry. Would make me angry. And I need to deal with that. 
So God lets continue. And God graciously continues with Jonah and God will graciously continue with us. Let me pray. Father God, I pray that you would supernaturally give us perspective. Perspective and understanding about who you are. Not a part of you, but all of you. You completely, you fully. And God, we acknowledge that to understand you that way is beyond us. Lord, we cannot do that. You have to do that, Holy Spirit, in our hearts, in our minds. You have to change us. You have to transform us. You have to turn us over. God, help us to acknowledge the reality. Help us to repent. Help us to come to you. Help us to desire for you to minister to us. That you would speak to us, that you would continue with us, and that you would change us. God, convince us that we are like Jonah. Help us to see ourselves in Jonah. Help us to see that we have put our identity in something else besides you, God. And we tend to put our identities in things that define us. To not be like them. God, give us mercy. God, pour out your grace on us. Change us, please. We beg you, we ask you as your children. Humbly we stand before you. We give ourselves to you. Y nos entregamos a ti, Señor. You're our God. Nuestro Dios. In Jesus' name. Tú eres Dios. En el nombre de Jesús. Amen. Amen.